I want to thank Alex, uh, Alex and the worship team, and, and um, good job. In Bruce, uh, Bruce's absence, they're on the mainland. They're going to be on the mainland for, I think they come back this week, some, this next week sometime. Uh, they're actually over in uh, Phelan celebrating, I think it's like the 30th reunion of, uh, of a church that they were involved in uh, back over there in California. So keep them in prayer, but they'll be back. I've got quick uh, announcements to make, actually three, and it just dawned on me that they're all, they all have to do with water. One is that we have water on our property. We've got water. Yeah. So we are, we are actually pumping water now, and I know you can't tell yet, but we're actually watering our grasses a few days ago, and uh, so we should be greening up here shortly, but it's just a, it's a big uh, breakthrough for us to get the water here, and um, we're just delighted about that. Uh, and then the other announcement related to water is Lisa Hicks' water broke, and she had her baby, and uh, so that's another big praise. Uh, it's uh, Keanu, is that his name, Keanu? Anybody know for sure? Okay, Keanu, Keanu Stephen. And so uh, if you want to uh, give them a call or plan on being a part of meals or anything like that to help them as they um, adapt and uh, make the transition with another child, I'm sure this uh, little guy is beautiful. So anyway, congratulations to them. And the last water announcement is, is water baptism. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you've never been to a water baptism, uh, to just be a part of witnessing it come. If you would like to be baptized, we're going to be doing it down at Kaylee at 2.30. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, to be a part of that, to support those that are being baptized uh, today. So with that, let's get into the Bible. Let's turn to a Philippians chapter 1. So good to see everyone here. I want to uh, encourage those that are visiting for the first time. I've met a number of you today. We're glad you're here. Hope you feel absolutely relaxed and at home and, uh, and loved by us and by the, by the Lord. We're studying the book of Philippians. We're in our our new study in our third week as we're going through the text verse by verse, and we're picking up our text this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And just before I read it, I, I want to share with you that um, I'm going through the book of 1 Corinthians in my own devotional life, and as I've been reading, one of the passages that I came across was actually in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, and, uh, and I was really captured by this uh, section of Scripture where Paul says, "...my message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words." but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And one of the things I've been really praying to God about, and we, we even talked about it as a staff, is just our desire uh, to not simply present information or, or to have an academic experience here, but to experience the power of God. And, uh, you know, I mean, what would you rather have? Would you rather have, you know, kind of a, just a, 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 an academic experience, or do you want to have God touch your heart this morning? I mean... Is that a no-brainer or what? I mean, I, what I want, even as, as the person teaching this, uh, this message, is I want the power of God in my life. And so that's what I'm going to pray for. I want to read the text first, but I want to pray that God would do a supernatural work that has to do with not, you know, something fantastic happening here or people falling over or anything like that, but, but with, with our hearts just leaning toward God, our hearts being drawn toward God. You know what that's like. When God is working and suddenly you just, you, you desire more of him, you want to walk with him, you want to, to love him, and you want to express that in, in, a, in, a, in a heart of service and obedience and a lifestyle of pleasure for him. And so that's what I'm praying for this morning, and I've been praying for that, so I'm asking God to do that. But I'd like to read the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the actual teaching. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers... 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress in the joy in the faith, so that through my being uh, with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture, and, and Lord, we want not just persuasive words, God, we don't want just information transfer to take place today. God, we want your power and your spirit to have full sway during the service. And Holy Spirit, we're asking, would you minister to us? Would you encourage us? Would you inspire us and exhort us and move us closer toward the heart of the Father, toward the heart of Christ, that we might do your will? We need you to move in our hearts. It needs to be intrinsic. And so we're surrendering this time to you and saying, have your way, lead, guide, mentor us, teach us your word that we might live fully for you and that we might know lasting joy and peace in this life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. Last, uh, the last couple of weeks we've been kind of almost in an introductory phase of this book of Philippians, and we've discovered a lot about joy and peace. Paul's purpose in writing was to actually encourage the saints in, in Philippi. In a secondary way, we are also learning along the way how to have 
what I would refer to as durable joy and durable peace. There's a big difference between having uh, fragile joy. Fragile joy is a joy that's based on circumstances. It's based on, on uh, your environment. It's based on the stock market. It's based on your family and the, 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 the closeness of, and no problems. It's based on uh, your inbox being empty and you being a, in physical top shape. It's based on all these things. But I've come to the conclusion I don't want fragile joy because <laughs> I got all that stuff at one time or another. It's, something's going on. Is it just me? It's like there's always problems. There's always challenges in life. And so if my joy or my peace in life is going to be contingent upon my circumstances, I'm never going to have it. It'll be fleeting at best. And this is the way most people live, with these fleeting windows of happiness. And the rest of the time that we're medicating ourselves or we're, we're trying to entertain ourselves or pleasure ourselves in some way to make up for the lack of joy and peace uh, that we so long for deep down in our hearts. But in this text of Philippians, Paul is actually revealing to us the, the keys to having not fragile joy and peace, but durable joy and peace. The kind of joy and peace that can survive whatever you're going through and not only survive, but thrive and actually grow in the midst of those challenges. Over the last couple of weeks, we've already discovered some of the keys to Paul's joy and happiness. Keep in mind, he's in prison uh, for preaching the gospel. He's in Rome. He's suffered shipwreck and beatings. He's been uh, scourged over and over. He's been falsely accused repeatedly. His life is constantly in danger. He spent many of uh, the nights and uh, uh, days of ministry homeless, uh, often without food, often without support or encouragement, and yet he keeps going because he's got a calling from Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about a guy riding from a resort off, you know, out in Poipu somewhere on vacation but he's in prison suffering and yet he doesn't have his little violin out uh, complaining to the Philippian church. Instead, he's focusing on, on the calling that God has on his life. And the things that we've learned in the last uh, two sessions that we've had together was number one, part of his capacity for joy and peace on death row was he was a follower and bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's the beginning for anyone if you want to have lasting joy and peace. He was also other-centered in the very midst of his own personal crisis. Huge. He accepted his high position and identity that God had given him and God gives to every believer, and that's that we're a saint and not a sinner. That's why whenever you read the New Testament books, I just love it. He never says to the, to the sinners at Philippi, to the sinners at Ephesus, to the sinners at Colossae, it's always to the saints because that's our identity as believers in Christ. And so that has a huge impact on Paul being able to go through these problems with great joy. He also understood and rejoiced in the unmerited grace of God. If it's unmerited, he could never lose the favor of God. And if you're a believer, you're in this wonderful place of great security in your relationship with God. The fifth thing that we, that we discovered is that he often remembered and recited the great memories of his friendships with the, with the Philippian church. We talked about how important it is to recite in our own minds and when we think of people, not to think, you know how tempting it is to kind of go down the list of they're this, they're that, they've got this problem, they've got that problem. Uh, oh, let's pray for them. You know what I'm saying? That's just, that's, that's not Paul's heart at all. And, and Paul, on the other hand, had a heart when he thought of people, he thought of the, the glorious memories. And he's got this Rolodex that's just spinning every time he thinks of the Philippian church, of these great 
memories and these great relationships. They had problems, but he didn't, he didn't focus on those. He focused on uh, these wonderful encounters, these wonderful memories that he had with the Philippian church. He also made it a practice to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people around him. We talked about how, how important that is to be communicating the love of Christ with people, that it really adds a tremendous amount of joy to your life to be able to share that good news with people, and Paul was a great example of that. He also was confident in God's power that God would finish what God had started. And Paul was a project that God had started. And you are a, a work of art that God has started. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel so, I don't look to myself so artsy. You know, I, I just look at myself and I say, man, I got a lot of problems. I'm not there yet. I've got this flaw and that flaw and these, these things that need to change. But I am in progress and so are you. And I, I can't tell you how much comfort I get from the knowledge that God's not done. And that when God begins the transformation in a person's life when they receive Christ, he never stops until it's finished. And so that's a great source of encouragement for you and for me this morning is that God is working. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. He's not done. Let him finish his work. Paul also openly and transparently loved people. I tell you, if you want to add a lot of durable joy and peace to your life, start loving people transparently and openly. Open your arms to people. Love them. Encourage them. I'm not just talking about your spouse and your kids. I'm and by, by the way, some people even have trouble loving that, that group of people. And I want to tell you that, that uh, if you're a person that's not the feely-touchy type, uh, find a way to express it that's meaningful. But, but Paul, one of the great joys for him was the capacity to let go of his pride and his fear and his hang-ups. And he loved people and he showed it, and he was transparent in it. And I'm telling you, loving like that does a world of good for a person's soul and even their physical health, just loving openly as Paul did. And the ninth thing that we discovered is that he had a lifestyle of interceding in prayer for others. Uh, you know, it seems like prayer and praying for others is a lot of work, but, but there's a, a spiritual principle here that it, it will add years to your life and joy to your heart and peace in your own existence. And so these are things that we've already discovered that Paul has done and are a part of his life that enabled him in the midst of his crisis to be so loving and so other-centered and so committed to God and so trusting of God's work in his life. I find it very refreshing, his uh, confidence, his cheerfulness, his optimism, his joy in the very midst of his crisis. And, and as we get into the text, I just want to remind you that this is really our calling as Christians this is what God is saying that he is looking for in us. This is the fruit the Holy Spirit wants to bear in your life. Uh, you need to put the little violin away forever. You know, the little whiny, screeching, uh, complaining, grumbling violin that we so often pull out uh, when we're having a problem. And we need to begin to take on a different attitude. And it's all up to you. In fact, what the Bible is basically saying, and it says repeatedly, is if you want this, it can be yours. You just have to ask. The Bible says in James that a lot of people don't have because they don't ask God. But if you want durable joy and durable peace, then ask. But you have to respond to what the Bible says. And the Bible says, put the violin away. And we're going to discover some more things that the Bible says this morning about how to live a joyful life. So in essence, you can have, you know, fragile joy and peace or you can have durable joy and peace. And God says, it's in front of you. Make your choice. What's your pleasure? And I, I know you guys, and I know my heart. I want durable joy, and I want what God has for me. And I think we'll discover more of that as we go through the text this morning. 
He says in, in verse 12 of, uh, of Philippians that his chains actually served to advance the gospel. He, he didn't look at the chains as an obstacle. In fact, for Paul, they were actually an opportunity. And that's, a, that's the thing that I, I admire so about Paul is that he saw even the crisis and the problems as not difficulties or bummers or God somehow dropping the ball, but he saw the, these challenges as opportunities. And he says, they actually served, he's chained up, these chains served to advance the gospel. The word in Greek is prokope. Can you say that? I know it's, I'm going to say it, you're going to say it a few times. Prokope. Prokope. P-R-O-K-E. P-R-O-K-O-P-E. Prokope. It's a compound word. Pro means toward or forward. And kope means to beat the breast in grief. That doesn't sound like much fun, does it? This is what it means. It means when you put these two words together, it means in the spite of, of difficulty or suffering to keep it moving forward. That's what it means. Say it again. Prokope. Prokope. A nautical usage of this term means to make headway in the spite of stiff headwinds. Or a military term is to advance in the face of obstacles, dangers, and great opposition. And I want to share with you that my experience in my own life and, as a Christian is that uh, I have to learn how to prokope. It's a verb. I've got to learn how to advance in the midst of challenges because life is just full of challenges. If I, if I had to wait for peace and calm and everything to be perfect in my life to advance, I would, I I would have like minutes in a, in a lifetime uh, to advance because there always seems to be something going on. And so I have to learn along with you and along with the Philippian church how to advance in the midst of challenges, even when there's a stiff headwind, even when there's opposition. And I want to encourage you because as I was preparing this and thinking about delivering this message and I thought about you and, and I see and I'm looking at so many of you and I know so many of your stories and, and we're friends many, for many of you, many years we've been friends together and I, and I look at your life and I've seen you live this. You just didn't know what it was called. Prokope, say it again. Prokope. You just didn't know how to say it in Greek but you've been living this life for years. You know how I know because you're here this morning. You didn't quit. You haven't given up. You're pursuing a walk with God. You want to know him better. And in order to do that, you had to keep moving forward against stiff headwind. Many of you are married here. And I want to encourage you. The reason you're still married is because of what? Prokope. In stiff headwind. With all kinds of obstacles. How many times did you guys want to quit? You don't have to say it. But how many times did you want to give up? How many times, if you could, you would have farmed your kids out and away forever, you know? And you just were at the end of yourself. But prokope. That capacity, it's, it has to do with maturity in life, but it has, it's, it's a spiritual component of the Christian life that's absolutely necessary for us to keep moving forward even when we have resistance and we face difficulty. What's the word again? Prokope. To move forward even when you're going through grief and it's a struggle. You know, I, I have to tell you that even, even as a pastor, I would say 95% of ministry requires prokope. It's just like your life. It requires, you know, even when there's difficulty, even when there are challenges, not quitting, not giving up, not caving in, not collapsing, not sitting down, but continuing to move forward as God gives the grace. I, I think about uh, this, this whole issue of Paul being in chains, and, and in, in essence what he's saying is nothing is wasted with God. 
And, and Paul didn't believe in coincidence. He believed in divine appointment. And, and I want to encourage you that you certainly have challenges in your life this morning. And you know you do, and you know what they are. And those are in your mind right now. And what I want to challenge you with is that these things can actually serve to advance the work of God in your life if you take on God's mindset on this issue. If you play the victim in these things, you will not have durable joy or peace. You will have the violin out. And even if you don't speak to others about it, you'll have a whiny heart. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of that. I just know me. And I know I'm pretty normal. And, uh, and I sometimes get my little violin out. And God says, put the thing away. I don't like the music. I don't like the tune. I don't like the instrument. Get rid of it, you know? And so... God is calling us to put this thing away and to take on his heart regarding these things. And we're told what his heart regarding problems is in, in a, a very famous verse in Romans 8.28. It says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. So even the, the challenges in life can be serving to procope if we will submit them to God. Paul was such a man. And he says specifically in verse 13 that part of the advancement was that other people around him as they watched this, this whole drama of his life and this imprisonment and this trial process he was in in Rome, and they came to the conclusion that Paul was in chains for Christ. In other words, Paul hadn't done anything wrong, but he was in chains because he was simply preaching the gospel and teaching people about eternal life. And he says the first group of people that were affected was the palace guard. These are the guys that are chained to Paul. We, I, just by way of review, Paul is... Is, uh, he's got an, his house, a house that he had to rent. Uh, he's under house arrest, in essence, which is a real, uh, a real blessing for him that he wasn't in prison. But he's under house arrest, but he's got a Roman security attachment uh, that's actually physically chained to him 24-7. They're in six-hour shifts, four guys every day. And, uh, and so Paul can receive guests. He has people coming. Uh, the church in Rome is coming. He's ministering to people. He's teaching them. And every minute of it, what has he got chained to him? A big, tough Roman soldier. These guys aren't Boy Scout leaders. These guys are tough, nasty guys. They're carnal. They're rough. I mean, they come from a, a lifestyle of discipline, but also some out-of-control experience. Any guys in the military, you remember that what sometimes military life can be like. And that's the way these guys are. And so they're chained to Paul. And Paul could have been like, you know what? I, I have no privacy. I don't have a minute to myself. You know, it goes a little violin. You know, I, I, I can't believe it. I need time alone. I, are, there, are there some of you that are like, you just, if you could, you'd only be with people every once in a while, you know? And, and even with your spouse, once a week is fine. You know, we'll talk once a week and you go to your corner, I'll go to my corner. Some people just really don't need a lot of, of communication. And there are other people that are just like, they're just like the partiers, you know. They're just like, I just can't be alone. I can't have any quiet. It's got to be, it's just got to be a show all the time. Something going on. Most of us fall somewhere in between those two extremes. But imagine that, that for two years, you are never alone. Never. Now, Paul could have moaned about that and grumbled. But what does he say? Wow, this guy thinks I'm the prisoner. And he's preaching the gospel six hours a day to each guy, four shifts a day. And these guys have to sit. Paul's got Bible studies going on. He's counseling. He's training. He's teaching. He's, he's equipping people for the work of the ministry. And here's a soldier just, you know, at first he's like, I just can't, I can't believe I got stuck with this shift. 
I mean, imagine sitting and having to be stuck with a guy for six hours. I mean, what do you do? You know, you're a soldier. And, and, this, the, the, and so Paul saw the flip side. He wasn't the prisoner. This guy was the prisoner. And he was a captive audience for Paul's preaching all of this time. The, the result is all these guys start coming to Christ. One by one at first, and then in gobs, and then, you know, more and more are coming. And I'm sure Paul said after some of these guys got saved, to send me a new one. Send me somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And then he goes on to say it wasn't just these, these uh, palace guards that came to Christ, but then he says, and everyone else was hearing the gospel and being affected. In fact, there's a progression that we discover if we look in a few other places in the Bible of Paul's impact. It began with the palace guard, who would have figured? Who would have figured that Paul would have a burgeoning ministry that would start as he was chained to one guy at a time in six-hour shifts? But then it moved to Caesar's household. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22 tells us that a lot of people in Caesar's echelon of leadership came to Christ. How did it happen? Well, they weren't visiting Paul necessarily, but it was the guards they were, they were being affected. They were telling their families. They were telling their friends. They were talking about Paul. And then other people were hearing this message and they were coming to Christ. But that's not where it stops. Because it says in this text, in the last part of verse 13, that everyone else was hearing about the message as well and they were coming to Christ. But it goes even farther. Because outside of our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, it says that this gospel went everywhere. Everywhere. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. You see what's happening? Do you see, do you see the, if, if it's fragile joy and you're thrown in prison and you're locked up and, and you're, you're limited and you've got, a, the little violin comes out. That's fragile joy and peace. Durable joy and peace is the capacity to see even what, what others might consider chains as an opportunity. And I, and I just want to ask you, what, what is it in your life that you have treated as if it's a chain versus an opportunity? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your neighborhood. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an in-law. I don't know what it is, but what I can tell you is that you can choose to think of it as a chain or you can... Think of it as a chain of opportunities that can impact people right next to you and then in ever-increasing concentric circles away from you if you're willing to. This is part of what durable joy involves. And so Paul had this attitude and he said, secondly, it's not just the impact of the gospel with unbelievers, but it's the gospel's impact with believers. In verse 14, he says, my chains have actually served to encourage the brothers. It's encouraged, my chains. How can chains encourage somebody? It says that they've been speaking the word of God more courageously and fearlessly as a result of my chains. Basically, what was happening is that Paul was taking almost a heroic status in the community of believers. Why? For the same reason that we ascribe hero status to people that, that go through incredible crisis and still manage to keep moving forward and keep doing what? Procope, right? Aren't we inspired by people that procope? Aren't we? We got lots of you in this church that have gone through challenges financially or in businesses or in cancer or illness or chronic pain or marriage problems or crises with your children. And because that you have managed by God's grace to live out that word procope, 
I, I like stand back and it's just like, I'm, I'm like, it's hero status for me, you know? It's like I get inspired by you. I'm encouraged by you. And we're doing this for one another through our lifestyle of Procope. And so Paul, as he is living this life of Procope, advancing as he's grieving and still doing the work of God, people are just like, whoa, unbelievable. And it really inspires people around Paul to step up and say, man, I, 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 can't, I can't live any other way. I need to be more fearless and courageous. If he can do it in chains, then I can do it in freedom. And so I want to encourage you in this that you'll, you'll never know how your capacity to procope can impact other people as they watch you go through this, both unbeliever and believer alike. And so I'm encouraging you to bloom where you're planted, bloom where you're chained, give up the fantasy of having the perfect situation and the perfect scenario to serve God, and do it now in the midst of whatever you're facing and whatever challenges that God has allowed in your life. And so these chains encourage the brothers. But Paul also in verse 15 through 17 is very honest. I love this about Paul. He's very candid. He, uh, he's not the kind of spiritual leader that, that uh, lays out the truth and then hides the difficulties in ministry. Because in verse 15 he says that, uh, acknowledging some of the challenges, that some, while he was in prison, were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. He's not talking about unbelievers or cult leaders. He's not talking about Gnostics or heretics. He's talking about Christian leaders in Rome that had become envious and jealous of Paul's ministry. I can kind of understand how it could happen. I mean, the Apostle Paul was known at this point pretty much all over uh, Europe and all over Asia. And so when Paul came into a room or into a setting, he kind of sucked the air out of the room. And not that he wanted to, but that's just the, 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 the character and the nature of his, of his person, the stature that he had even in Rome. And so I imagine, you know, on, 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 in Rome on, you know, on, the, on the, the day of worship, Sunday, the people would gather together and the pastor would give a sermon and Paul's in prison and, and the pastor would give a really good sermon and no one would come up to him and talk anything about the message. And, and they wouldn't say, Pastor, well, that was so insightful. That was so amazing. How do you come up with this stuff? And wow, that was just great. And I just felt God working. Instead, they were coming up to him and say, Pastor, I went and visited Paul. Unbelievable. I just, I, you know, you preach, but this guy can really, man, he just talks and it just touches my heart. And I just got so inspired. And I've been taking my family down every time we get a chance. And I'm out of work. Whenever I'm not at work, I were down there. Pastor, you got to come. And you can imagine you know, if, if a pastor's heart, a leader in Rome, wasn't really for the kingdom, but there was, he was in some way drawing value and identity from his position, it would be very tempting to feel somewhat offended by that kind of, of, uh, of a praise for another man's ministry. And so this envy and rivalry uh, caused the attention to shift from the praise and glory of God to the praise and elevation of a man. And, and Paul said, I, that can't be. It reminds me of a story of a, of a pastor in West Virginia when he was asked about how his ministry was going by some, by some other pastors at a pastor's conference. And, uh, and this man began to share, it's just been a terrible year. It's probably the worst year we've ever had. He'd been in ministry some 25 years. And, and he says, it's, it's just been hard. We, we haven't really been making progress. We've, we've seen people leave the church. Uh, we've had division. We've had all kinds of people grumbling about different things. And he was just kind of playing the little violin but then his face brightened and uh, a twinkle 
came to his eye and he says, but thank God the Methodists haven't done any better. <laughs> you see the kind of competitiveness that can even happen in ministry. And, and, and this rivalry caused people to teach the gospel, but with the hope of outdoing Paul. You know, Paul's in prison. We're going to outdo him, man. Paul's leading all these people to Christ. Maybe these, uh, these Roman pastors had, had not really been that serious about sharing the gospel or training the people in their fellowships to be outreach-oriented and love people in the community and to be serving in the community. And, and so they weren't necessarily seeing a lot of fruit. And then Paul, in prison, in chains, is, there's an, a revival breaking out. And they're, they're humbled by that and convicted. And so with the wrong motive, they go and do the right thing, which is preach the gospel. And, and they thought Paul would be upset by that, that Paul was counting heads that Paul was concerned that he would be outdone by the Roman church. Instead, Paul is in prison and he's saying, isn't this wonderful? I know they want to hurt me, but praise God, they're using a great method that's advancing the gospel. They're preaching the truth about Jesus. And so, uh, you know, he said, whether from false motives or true, uh, the gospel is being preached. In the midst of this, in verse 19, Paul has an eternal perspective which is another part of having durable joy and peace. He says, I know that I will be delivered. I know I'm going to be delivered. And then he says something very interesting. He says, through the prayers that you've been lifting up, I will be delivered. It's interesting. This is actually a quote from Job chapter 13, verse 16, verbatim, that I know I will be delivered. And why would Paul choose this passage from Job. It wasn't an accident. It was very strategic. Paul had the intent of drawing a parallel between his life and the life of Job. Like Job, Paul was not guilty of wrongdoing, and yet he was suffering. Like Job, he was prepared for and unafraid to die. Like Job, he knew that God would deliver him through his circumstances. And like Job, Paul had the ultimate hope that he would see God. But he says it's through the prayers of the saints. Now, I find that very interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm completely convinced that prayer changes things. I don't have any question about that. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But prayer is effective. God has called us to pray as a people, and, and in this particular case, it's intercessory prayer. It means that we're praying for the needs of others. It's other-centered praying for the benefit of people around us. And if you want durable joy, then you have to be willing to become an other-centered person, even in the midst of your relationship with God and even in the midst of prayer. Paul also says the very same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. He gives a litany of all his problems, but he says, We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I can't emphasize how important it is to pray for each other. And I want to encourage you because I know you're already doing that. But make it even more a pattern of your life because God can use you to change the course of, of people's experiences and even your own experience through prayer because God answers prayer. And interestingly, in the next little phrase, he ties it to the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so you've got the saints praying and that's impacting the Holy Spirit's enablement and involvement in actually participating, bringing the resources to answer the prayer. And so Paul's needs, if I can phrase it a little differently, were met by the Spirit of God through and because of the prayers of the saints in Philippi. Isn't that amazing? Thousands of miles away, praying and yet having an impact. 
That's, I, I just love praying. I can, when we have prayer on Wednesday morning here and we have a lot of people that come to that, it's just like it's exciting because when we're praying, we can pray for people all over the globe and have an impact and know that God is going to answer and that God is going to help and bring the resources of the Spirit uh, to the situation. And he also, in verse 20, was full of expectation and hope that he would not be ashamed but would have sufficient courage so that Christ would be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Again, I, I really like Paul. Very honest. You know, he says, it's my earnest expectation and hope. He doesn't say, you know what, I got this completely covered. I've got a history of not being ashamed. I've got a history of um, having sufficient courage in each and every situation. I know you guys are worried about me about that, Paul says, but no, I'm covered. No, he doesn't say that. He says, it's my earnest expectation and it's my hope that I would not be ashamed and that I would have sufficient courage for what, he, what I'm facing. This is Paul. And I think to myself, how refreshing. The great apostle, the, undoubtedly the, the mover and shaker of the New Testament church, had more impact than any other disciple, wrote more books in the New Testament than any other apostle, and yet he admits and acknowledges that he needs prayer, that he wouldn't be ashamed, and that he would have sufficient courage so that Christ would be exalted by life or by death. And I want to just point out briefly that this is Paul's perspective. He said, I know I will be delivered. I just don't know exactly whether it's going to be by life or by death. You see, there's a deliverance for the Christian. Either way, it's a deliverance. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But Paul had this assurance because of the prayers of the saints. He found himself in, a, in really a win-win situation, verse 21, because he says, to live is Christ which would produce fruitful labor and to die would be gain. I, I like this whole concept of to live as Christ. What this means is that, that to live means that Christ is the center of everything. It means that, that we're in Christ, that our joy is in Christ, the durability of our joy and peace is found in Christ, that our, our contentment, our knowledge of God is found in Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is delivered to us because of the work in Christ. Our high position as saints before God is because we are found in Christ. Our assurance of eternal life is found in Christ. The promise of eternal life as well as the inheritance that comes to the believer is found in Christ. All these things are in Christ. In fact, in, in a, a number of passages, Paul uh, and also the psalmist talk about this capacity of being in Christ and how important it is. He says, I have nothing on earth that I desire besides you. David in Psalm 27 says, in the midst of all these things that are going on in his life and he's procoping, if I can put an ING on the end of that, uh, he's, he's living a life of procope and in the midst of this he says, there's only one thing I desire. I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and I want to be found in his temple worshiping him. And this is, this is the heart of, of Paul as he's writing this letter is that he wants to be in Christ. His whole passion is Christ. His whole life is Christ. So he says, for me to live is Christ because that's the passion of his life is to live for Christ, to know Christ, to enjoy Christ, and to be fashioned and shaped and molded into the image of Christ. But he says at the same time, even though he'd like to be with Christ, he says, to die would be gain. In Christ doing ministry or with Christ in death? In Christ or with Christ? And Paul says, I just can't, I can't lose. 
It's a winning proposition either way. Most people, when they think about death, they, they use phrases that, that heighten and highlight the negative aspects of death. They say things like, well, my friend, yeah, I, they lost their battle with cancer. We talk about losing a spouse or losing a child. When somebody gets a diagnosis that's terminal, they only have two weeks to live. And so all the, all the ways that we even phrase the death experience is, is negative. And, and there's no question that death is, a, is an ugly thing that Jesus Christ conquered on the cross and will finally be conquered when he comes for his church and for his people. But for now, death in Paul's mind is actually a gain. It's a gain. Because he says, while we live in this earth, we're like dwelling in a tent, but God is preparing a place for us, a building from God. So you got a tent that he says is like this life with all the problems and challenges and, and difficulties that we have. And he says, but God has a building. It's, in other places, it's called a mansion. It's a place that he's been preparing for us for over 2,000 years. And I guarantee that however much joy and pleasure you have now, it will be dwarfed and overwhelmed by what's coming. And so Paul says, I have a very different attitude about death. Even in death, there's gain. And actually, this word in Greek is where we get our, our word lucre from, like filthy lucre, like, you know, gain that's by cheating. And he calls this lucre, gain. It's tremendous gain, positive gain, to actually die. Paul's death would actually uh, produce at least three benefits for him. One would be to free him from the trials of this life. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a litany of all the challenges, the shipwrecks and the beatings and the scourgings and, and all the things that he went through in order to serve Christ and in his ministry. And, uh, and so he would be delivered from that. And sometimes I think to myself, that would be nice, you know, just to have, can you imagine never, ever, ever again having grief or sorrow or ever getting bad news or ever having a problem or ever being heartbroken or ever being disappointed again? Can you imagine? Just, I, we, we can't, I can't even really wrap my arms around that kind of a, of a concept. And yet that's what the Bible says life in the kingdom of God will be like. The second thing is, is that Paul would be ushered into the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Paul had this understanding that it would be a gain. It's not a tragedy to die. The third thing is that it would actually serve to advance the gospel. Tertullian, who was um, uh, one of the uh, teachers and, and saints in the early church 1,800 years ago, said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we have a long history in church history and missions that when godly men and women die in their service to God, there's an outpouring of new recruits that come in. I, I think about Jim Elliott, the uh, uh, Alka Indians. Do you remember his story and how he was serving and, and uh, just got there, basically making contact with these cannibalistic tribe and, and, uh, and they got killed. And everybody thought, what a tragedy. What an awful tragedy. This is going to put a, a damper on missions. No one's going to want to go. To the contrary, tens of thousands of young people across the United States stepped up. Why? Because they saw a man who learned how to what? Procope. In the midst of adversity, people are looking for heroes like that in the faith. They're looking for people that are not, you know, elevated or exalted, but just in the simple aspects of life. Don't quit. Don't give up. In the face of stiff headwinds, keep tacking forward. Keep moving forward. And so tens of thousands stepped in that vacancy of Jim Elliott's life 
And that tribe was one, and thousands of other tribes all across the world and people groups were one because of one man's surrender. But he told us and tells us in verse 22 that he was really torn. He was torn between two passions. He kind of entitled the sermon, Two Worlds, Two Passions. He's got this physical world that we live in, and then there's the spiritual world. The passion of, of doing evangelism and sharing Paul's faith and the passion to be with Christ. What, what great passions, what great worlds to be caught in the crossfire between. It's really a win-win situation. And so Paul says, I, I prefer to depart to be with Christ. That's my preference. Why? On a personal level, he's saying, if I had my choice and it didn't touch any of the rest of you and had no impact on anyone else, good or bad, I'd like to be with Christ. This has been difficult. It's been challenging. Anybody else felt like that before? You just like to check out? You know, there are times, and I, I, I don't know why. I think it's because early on I used to put so much pressure on myself. There were times that I tell Becky, I just, I'd like to check out. I mean, I've actually, I've actually thought about killing myself at various times in my life. And I know some of you think, what are you thinking? Why would you even think that way? And others of you are thinking, you feel that way too? That's happened to you? So however you respond is fine. I'm just being honest. That uh, there are times I've wanted to check out. And I just thought, you know, I just like to get out of here. But I, I want to get out for the wrong reasons. I want to get out because I'm tired or I'm weary or I'm depressed or things aren't, weren't going exactly how I'd like them to go or whatever, or a crisis of some sort that was overwhelming. But Paul's not wanting to check out because of a problem. He wants to check out because he's so in love with Christ. He's so, there's such a passion and a devotion in his relationship with Jesus that he can't imagine being away from him even a minute longer. And if he had the chance and the opportunity, he would want to find himself face to face with a Savior. That's a good reason to go. My reasons weren't good. And if you ever have bad reasons to go, don't go. Let God teach you how to have durable joy and peace so that you can continue to advance even in the face of the challenges that life has. So Paul says, I'd rather be de depart and be with Christ. But he says, I'm convinced I'm going to remain. And he says, for your progress in the faith. Guess what this word progress is in the Greek? Prokope. It's the very same word in the Greek. It's translated different in the English. The first is to advance the work of God through Paul's chains. And now it's to help the church make progress in the midst of challenge. He's saying, I, I've been left here to help you learn how to live a lifestyle of prokope. This capacity to advance even in the midst of challenge and crisis and not give up. I like what Paul tells uh, Timothy, his disciple, and young pastor in 1 Timothy 4.15. He says, be diligent in all these matters that, he, that Paul is discussing with him as a pastor. He says, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your, your progress, your advancement, so that people can be encouraged by it and built, be built up by it. I, I, again, I want to stop just for a second and I want to emphasize, you will never know how valuable your model is of advancing in the midst of your crisis. You may feel like you're all alone and you, may, you might be a mom, a single mom and struggling and just thinking, uh, who cares that I'm still alive? Does any, that doesn't, I'm not helping anybody. Oh, contraire, I would say. I don't use that word very much, but that's what came to my mind right now. <laughs> I didn't have anywhere else to go. It was contraire or I was going to be stuck. 
People watch and they see. And I want to tell you, single moms and dads, that I'm inspired by your life. Those of you that have gone through physical malady or challenges or marriage crises and you're still here hanging in there, I'm inspired by your life and people are watching. People are learning from you as you advance, as you don't quit and you don't give up. And he says, I'm going to stay for this progress, for this procope in your life and for your joy in the faith and your overflowing joy in Jesus Christ. Well, he says to them, you know, the truth is I don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out. He says, I know I'm going to be delivered. And he says, I'm having the time of my life. I'm chained to these guys. I'm preaching the gospel. It's not exactly what I would have planned, but it's God's design and I'm accepting it. I put the violin away and I'm worshiping God in the midst of this situation and God is blowing my mind. I can't believe how much he's accomplished in my life, Paul's saying, with these chains on. But he says, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But he says, no matter whether it turns out that I get out and I'm freed or whether I am executed by beheading, which is exactly what happened to him some two years later, he actually gets released from this imprisonment, but two years later is rearrested by Nero and then finally beheaded. But he says, regardless of what happens, he says in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct. It's where we get our word politics from. Polituo in Greek. But it, it has not, I don't want to encourage anybody to be a politician. I'm not saying don't. But I'm saying it has to do with the governance of a people. It has to do with the rules of a kingdom. And he says, conduct yourselves. Live as men and women of the kingdom of God. And this comes into the other aspect of two worlds, two passions. The Bible says that we're actually aliens in this world. That as Christians, our kingdom is now in the kingdom of heaven. And the rules are the rules of the kingdom of heaven. And the citizenship is the citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And until we're with him, we are looking forward to that kingdom. In the meantime, we are in this world, like Paul, chained in some aspects to the challenges of sin and difficulty, etc. But God is opening up doors of opportunity for this church and for you individually. And he's saying, step into it. Put the violin away. And let's make some real music that has to do with praise and worship to God and that has a, a, a drawing influence on people around us who so desperately need to know joy and peace. And then he says, stand firm in one spirit. I shared this word with our, our team as we prayed earlier, stecco, stecco. And it just means to, if you want to say it, it's just stick on there, don't move anywhere. Uh, uh, an application of this is that if you're uh, a military person and you're given a position, you don't leave that post until you're told otherwise. Stay there. That's what it means. And he says, I want you to stand firm in the faith. Don't move under any circumstances for this confidence from the confidence that we have in God. And he says, contend as one man in the faith for the gospel. I'm trying to overwhelm you this morning. I'm, I'm sharing a lot of Greek words with you. But this word is soon athleo. Soon athleo. Soon is with. Athleo is where we get our word athletics from. And it means to wrestle together with others for a purpose, for a cause of victory. And so he says, I want you to contend. I want you to wrestle with the church in unity, no divisions, no backbiting, no gossiping, nothing like that, but draw together for the purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and contending for the faith. And by all means, don't be frightened by those that oppose you. Don't be frightened. You know, Satan, has, he's, he's a toothless lion. Toothless and clawless. About the best he can do is, is paw at you and frighten you. He roars very loud. And, and often the roar is all it takes for us to back off and, and step away. 
and to, lo- to move away from our post and to stop living a life of prokope. But Paul says, don't be frightened by those that oppose you. The Bible tells us actually in, in uh, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. So you've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear and you've got the power of God working in your behalf to help you finish your race and to finish it well. And he reminded them in verse 29 and 30 of their calling. They'd been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Christ but also to suffer for Christ. And it's a great reminder because they saw the same suffering in Paul and they heard that Paul still suffered in this way. And Paul is saying, I just want to remind you that even though there are great blessings attached to this lifestyle of following Jesus, there's also suffering. We have to expect the chains. We have to expect the heartache. We're not home yet. This isn't our kingdom. We are not with Christ yet. That day will come. You will be rewarded. In the meantime, Procope, keep advancing. Keep making forward progress. Make, it, make the progress in your marriage. Make it with your children. Make it at work. Make it in your community. Make it with, uh, with relatives and with, with people that don't like you, with people that don't get along with you, that see things from a different perspective. Wherever you go, Procope, keep advancing the cause of Christ because until we're home, we're going to suffer. There's going to be difficulty. Everyone in the world is having trouble and difficulty just because of the fallen nature of our condition and, and the problems that, that are related to sin and what sin brings. But God has told us to put the little violin away and he say, would you like fragile joy or durable joy? What do you want? Durable, lasting. And God is offering it. And he's offering it to us this morning. You know, we're going through this series, and I'll close with this, with Dave Ramsey. Anybody hear about Dave Ramsey? Some of, we've got a big group of people on Thursdays that are coming to that. And if you, if you have time, it's fabulous. You can jump in anytime. We're only six weeks into it. But, uh, but Dave Ramsey, in essence, if I can kind of summarize his whole philosophy is, is it working for you? Is your financial plan really working for you? Do you have, are, are, are you in debt? Are you, are you up to your eyeballs in credit card debt? Do you own your own home? And, and Dave's response is, if you can't answer yes to all these things, or if you, I, I guess I ask questions that are polar, I can't really answer that anymore because I asked it improperly. But, but his whole point is, is that, that are you satisfied? Is, is, are you blessed? Are all your debts paid off? Is your house paid off? And basically what he says is he says, if not, then why don't you try it my way for a while? Why don't you, why don't you try it my way and, and give this arena of a different way of handling your finances a shot? And so people, a lot of people in our church are, are, are giving Dave Ramsey's approach to dealing with finances a shot. It's a biblical approach and God's blessing it with, with virtually all of us. And what I would say to you is in a similar way, the Apostle Paul is, he's saying, is it working? Do you have durable joy? Do you have durable peace? Or do you got the violin out all the time? Are you bearing fruit? Do you, do you see the chains not as that you're in bondage, but that you've got an opportunity that God has presented to magnify the name of God and to present the gospel? Are you living that life of prokope? And if not, Paul says, well, can I make a suggestion? Why don't you try it my way for a while? And who was Paul following? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of Procope. In the midst of suffering and challenge, kept moving forward. 
That's what God is calling us to, and he's calling you to that this morning. And so I want to just highly encourage you that God has done a great work. He's working in our lives. He's not going to stop until he's finished, but he's calling us to live a life of full surrender to God. And I want to share with you that the key to all of this is being a bondservant of Jesus, recognizing that you're not your own anymore, but now you belong to God. If you're willing to live that life, I'm telling you, you can live the life. You can live the life of joy and peace and it will transcend the problems and the ups and downs in life if you're willing. And I want to encourage you in in one final statement and that's simply this. I see you already doing it. We're doing it. God is already working these things into our heart and I see it in your lives and my only encouragement to you in all of this is excel still more as you surrender to Jesus the balance of your life. Father, we thank you for this time this morning and God, I thank you for the privilege of studying your word together and it is such an honor, God. I thank you for the very encouraging words of Paul to the church in Philippi and I pray that whatever it is that you've touched each individual heart with, God, mine included, that we might carry away with us and that we might learn a lifestyle of durable joy and durable peace that's based on the finished work of Christ and our life surrendered to him. And so we pray that you would do it. We cry out to you for help, that we might be men and women after your heart and that we might learn how to live a lifestyle of prokope, advancing in the face of stiff opposition and the challenges of life and continue to make progress for your glory and your praise. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we close and enjoy this last hymn and worship song? Love each other after the service. And if you want to join us for the baptism at 2.30, you can. We have a leadership meeting at 11.30. God bless you guys. Have a great day. God bless.